You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Well, if you've been following with us, we have been moving with the Israelites from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land, and we've come to the climactic point in the story in Exodus, at least, the first 19 chapters We are just a hair's breadth away from God giving the Ten Commandments to Israel, the Ten Great Words by which He binds Himself to them and makes them His people. Our text this morning is Exodus 19, which if you read it or study it as a whole, is a a very interesting chapter. It's very dramatic. To me, Exodus chapter 19 reads like a YouTube video. Okay, that was shot with a cell phone, you know, and I don't know why people do this in a house in the middle of a tornado, right? And they're just standing there to capture it. And the roof is coming off, and the ceiling tiles are dropping, and the timbers are shaking, and the grit is whipping through broken windows. Because what we see in Exodus 19 is a God who made all things good breaking into a world that no longer is coming in pure goodness and holiness to dwell among his people, to make his home with them. And it's a terrifying experience. It's like the architecture of creation can no longer sustain the presence of the creator, just would burst apart. And you want to head for the hills, you want to put your head in the sand, except for the fact that there arises a growing sound Not a noise like the wind or the thunder or the fire billowing from the mountain. But the noise, the sound of music. The sound of a trumpet that begins to emerge from this great mountain, Mount Sinai. Would you open up your Bible to chapter 19 of the book of Exodus? And uh, as we read this text, let's listen for that music. Our text is Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19, and I invite you to take advantage of the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you or under your seat, and you'll find this on page 58. And if you're able, let's stand and read God's Word aloud together. Exodus 19, verses 16 through 19. And when we're done reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, as well as a thick cloud on the mountain, and a blast of a trumpet so loud that all the people who were in the camp trembled. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, while the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak and God would answer him in thunder. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what we just read never will. Please be seated. The trumpet is a priestly instrument. It's a priestly instrument, the trumpet. A jazz critic named David Hadju, a few years ago, stumbled across 
Wynton Marsalis, uh, the trumpeter, the jazz great, in a Greenwich Village nightclub. Total surprise, actually. Um, Haju was there to hear a trio that he did not know, and he'd come in late. He sat in the shadows and the smoke of the room and the darkness. Couldn't quite make out the faces, but he elbowed someone next to him and said that one in the back, that accompanist on the trumpet, is he Wynton Marsalis? And he said, oh, certainly not. But there was a fourth song and a solo by trumpet, at which point Marsalis stepped forward and he was recognized. And this is what David Hodges says in the Atlantic Monthly. The fourth song was a solo showcase for the trumpeter, who, I could now see, was indeed Marsalis, but who no more sounded than looked like what I expected. He played a ballad, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You, unaccompanied. Written by Victor Young, a film score composer for 1930s romance, the piece can bring out the sadness in any scene. And Marsalis appeared deeply attuned to its melancholy. He performed the song in murmurs and sighs, at points nearly talking the words in notes. It was a wrenching act of creative expression. When he reached the climax, Marsalis played the final phrase, the title statement, in declarative tones, allowing each successive note to linger in the air a bit longer. I don't stand a ghost of a chance. The room was silent until at the most dramatic point, someone's cell phone went off. blaring a rapid sing-song melody in electronic bleeps. People started giggling, picking up their drinks. The moment, the whole performance unraveled. Marcellus paused for a beat, motionless, his eyebrows arched. I scrawled on a sheet of notepaper, magic ruined. The cell phone offender scooted into the hall as the chatter in the room grew louder. Still frozen at the microphone, Marsalis replayed the silly cell phone melody <laughs> note for note. Then he repeated it and began improvising variations on the tune. The audience slowly came back to him. In a few minutes, he resolved the improvisation, which had changed keys once or twice and throttled down to a ballad tempo and ended up exactly where he had left off, with you. The ovation was tremendous. I don't know about you, but I, I would dearly like to know that I could have someone playing the trumpet in the dark shadows of so many scenes in my past. Because out of me arises from time to time and I don't know why I should be surprised, but discordant, chintzy and artificial sounds that seem to spoil the melody of life altogether. I, I could give you so many ex examples, but one that comes to my mind uh, is a failure as a parent. And, and I remember when I had a toddler, we were outside playing in the snow in front of our apartment in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, 
my son was giggling and laughing, paying no attention to the fact that he was losing himself at a very dangerous convergence of two driveways, a large hedge, a sidewalk, and a busy street. And I looked at him, and I, I, I tried to plead with him to get him to take this seriously, and he, he just didn't get it. And so I used my sternest voice, and I looked into his face, and I said, if you keep doing this, a car is going to come and run over you, and that will be the end of you. And it took a second for those words to land on his heart, which immediately broke in two. And I could see him burst into tears. And I knew I had said a horrible thing. That in, in my anger, I had, in his mind, removed him from existence possibly even from my heart. And, and, I, and I, I can't forget that image. And many others like that as a, as a parent. I wish I could have it back. I wish there were someone to take those awful notes and fold them into a greater, more beautiful melody. That's what a trumpet does. And a trumpet is a priestly instrument. God gave Israel priests to do this. This whole mountain is really arranged, though they don't have formal priesthood, like a, a temple and a priestly scene with Moses going in and out, back and forth between God and the people. The priests were people who played the trumpet in Israel. That was their instrument. You know, the trumpet's one of the oldest instruments human beings have been playing. And here the trumpet that we hear is a shofar made from the horn of a ram. Couldn't play a whole lot of notes, but it could play loud. And you wanted your priests to be able to play loud, to summon people to the worship of the great God. When David, King David, brought the ark to Jerusalem, you know, he danced in front of it. And you know, the music was the music of trumpets played by the priests in front of it. When Solomon was uh, coronated as king, the coronation hymn played by trumpeters who were priests. When the Jerusalem temple was dedicated, 120 priests played trumpets and smoke filled the temple. As God was there, God showed up. Now, I want to talk just for a moment about a priest. Because God is calling this people, Israel, to be a nation of priests. And I believe he's calling you and me to be the same. And before we can be a nation of priests, we have to be a nation that has a priest. Jesus is our great high priest. And if you want to understand who Jesus is and what he's doing in your life, you need to know what a priest is. And so I want to give you five actions, very quickly, of a priest. Five things that the great high priest of Israel would do, set out in the legislation that follows in a few chapters here, every year on the day we call Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So on this day that there would be five actions for the priest. The first one, representation. The priest would come from the midst of the people as one of them, one for many, bone of their bone, flesh of their flesh, and they would put on him a strange robe like the one that I'm wearing, and it, it, had, uh, it had stones on the breastplate, 12 stones, a stone for each name of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
See, their names would be inscribed on his heart because he would go into the temple on their behalf, in their name. Representation. That's the first action of the chief priest. The second action is consecration. There would be some washings. There would also be uh, some uh, um, uh, sacrifice. Blood actually was put on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe. Uh, this was an act of consecration to set that person apart. Yes, he's one of the people, but he's because he's not special himself. He needs symbolically to be represented as sacred before God. Representation, consecration. And the third action is substitution. The priest would take his hands and put them on the head of an animal. And that animal would be would be killed as an offering. Why put the hands on the head? Because this representative of the people is symbolically allowing God to transfer the guilt, his guilt and their guilt, to the animal. That the animal's death might represent their death and that the judgment of God, a holy God, on a sinful people might not need to be inflicted on those whom God loves. A substitution, it's the animal. The fourth act is intercession with a a vessel of this blood. The, The priest would now move into the tabernacle, which is the tent that they use for a temple in the wilderness, or later on into the temple itself in Jerusalem, leaving the people behind and now going through the three courts of the tabernacle, eventually into its innermost Room, the Holy of Holies, only on this one day and only this one person is allowed to come and only carrying this blood, uh, this sacrificial blood. Now in that space, he makes intercession on behalf of the people, praying for mercy, thanking God for grace, inviting God's welfare in their life and blessing, which is the fifth action. Because having asked God for a blessing, now the priest knows that God will, in fact, hear that prayer. And so he goes back out through the courts of the tabernacle, back out to the people who are anxiously waiting, gathered around for a word. And the word is a word of blessing. God says to Moses, tell Aaron, the priestly line, and his sons, all the priests, to say this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. That's what that's what the priest said when he came out. And then the Lord says, here's why. Because I want you to put my name on the Israelites. The name the Lord, Yahweh, from the name I am, which Moses had heard God speak at the burning bush, is now the name that should be laid upon God's people. You belong to me. You are my people. That's what the priest could do. These five movements, representation, consecration, substitution, intercession, and blessing, were what was necessary for the people to be God's people, for it to be safe, to live in the presence of a holy God. Now, Jesus, in the fullness of time, is known by his followers to be a priest, not just any priest, but the great high priest. 
Jesus moves not only into the Jerusalem temple following Palm Sunday, but Jesus moves into the heavenly temple. And so these five actions are what Jesus offers on our behalf. First, representation. He is the Son of God, but he is also the Son of Man, like us in all respects except sin. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. God has taken on your humanity and mine to be our representative. He has taken your name on his heart into the Holy of Holies. Jesus would consecrate himself not with blood because he has never sinned. He would consecrate himself by living a life of obedience. And he says in the high priestly prayer, the night he's crucified to his father, I have sanctified myself for their sake. So he, the great high priest, lives the life that you and I could not live. He makes himself holy because you and I never could. He consecrates himself and then he goes into, he ascends onto the hill of crucifixion. Here he rises on the cross. He needs no animal. He offers himself, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world as a substitution for my guilt and for yours. And that's not all. He's not done when he dies on the cross. He resurrects from the dead on Sunday, the third day. Jesus is alive. And Mary, one of the, the disciples, discovers him in the tomb, the garden tomb, and she clings to him. And Jesus says an interesting thing that moves us to the fourth action of a priest, intercession. He says, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Just as the chief priest would ascend the stairs into the Holy of Holies, now Jesus will ascend into the heavenly temple and there he will sit making intercession on your behalf, on my behalf, on our behalf. He will pray for us, for the world. He will fold your spirit-led prayers into his prayers and lay them before his heavenly Father on our behalf, in our name. And then, five, blessing. Jesus also sets his name upon us. For that same day, that Resurrection Sunday, Jesus, later in the day, will come to the disciples and he'll find them in an upper room and he will speak to them a word of blessing. Very simply, he says, peace, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. See, so his name, the name of Jesus, the Son of God, through the Spirit becomes our name, and that's who we are. That's who we are. Do you see that God has given you, God has given me, a great priest to play a trumpet melody that can take the vilest of offenses, the most horrifying of actions, the most dreaded memories that you and I will carry through life, the times when we crossed lines we thought we'd never cross, the times when we gave up and wished we could now go back and keep trying. The times when we said something that was so hurtful. The times when we withheld help from someone who, who needed it. All of those ugly moments in our past can now be enfolded into the melody of a Savior who plays beautiful music, who reveals great grace. 
The trumpet's a priestly instrument. But the trumpet also calls forth a priestly people. Those who have a priest, those who have life because of a priest, will soon learn to live as priests. This is the interesting thing about Exodus 19. If you just look, uh, flip the page back and you see what God is saying to the people is not just that you're going to have a priest with this temple temp, uh, 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 trumpet. It's that I am going to summon you to be priests, not for each other, but for the world. He says in verse 4, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom. That's not a kingdom that has a priest. They need to have a priest, but it's a kingdom that is a priest to all the nations of the world. A kingdom who so hears the melody of the great priest in their ears that they can hum, that they can play, that they can sing that tune for the nations, that all might know the blessing of God. In this way, they are blessed to be a blessing. This, by the way, explains all the strange rituals that we see in, in chapter 19. The Israelites weren't asked to do this stuff normally, but the priests were. God is consecrating them and commissioning them to be a priestly people for the whole world. This week, I uh, had lunch with one of our members, um, and he told me a story. In 2003, he was dying of leukemia. His name is Rich. In 2003, there was a woman who lived in Kentucky who heard about a bone marrow stem cell drive through a church in Kentucky and signed up. Well, the database matched this dying man with this younger woman. And on April 1st, 2003, Rich received stem cell transplant for his leukemia. A year later, Rich was able to make contact with this woman named Monica to thank her and to explain that she had been an answer to his prayer and that he believed somehow that God had used her gift in his life in order to save his life and he considered it a miracle. Well, every year on April 1st, Rich sends a bouquet of flowers to Kentucky for Monica. And this year he sent a little email and I want to read his email to her and then let you hear how she responded. Monica it's a wet, dreary day in Seattle, which is not unusual for spring, or Seattle, I think. Uh, but the thought of your stem cells at work in my body bring a feeling of light and warmth. I'm still not clear on how that medical miracle works, but am living testimony that it does. Life has been good. I've got a new grandchild. May your Easter time be blessed, Rich. And then listen to her response. Hi, Rich. Thank you so much for the beautiful flowers. You've been kind enough to send me flowers for many years now. But it was such a wonderful surprise when they came yesterday. I can't tell you how much the gesture means to me. I feel so humbled that you would think to do that. I thank our wonderful God that it's been his will for you to have survived cancer. And pray that you have many 
happy, healthy years to come. And congratulations on your grandchild. What a blessing grandchildren must be. It makes me cry happy tears to know you're getting the opportunity to know yours and watch them grow. I can't express how honored I feel to have been part of your recovery, Rich. Please know something very positive has come from your suffering. It gave me the chance to say yes to Jesus. And in turn became one of the biggest blessings of my life. Take care and God bless Monica. Now, I can't tell who's being the priest to whom here. But I know this. This man and this woman are living in the presence of a priest. And the question for us is, how can we participate in his priestly ministry? It's not what can we do, because I'm here to tell you this text assures us that he is already at work to call to your attention that he's your priest. And to call to your attention that you're his priest for the people around you. He's trying hard to work reconciliation in the lives of the people around you. And you're his woman. You're his man. To close the deal. Well, how do we get involved in this kind of thing? I, I want to very quickly give you three suggestions. Taken from the five priestly actions, we don't need all five because we are not truly the priest. We are only those who hum the tune of the great high priest. But three tangible, practical suggestions. Remember, the first thing was identification. We can do that, too. We need to do that. We need to look into the lives of the people around us. I don't know who it might be for you, a co-worker, a family member, someone you know, someone that you don't know. Someone you sit next to on the bus, someone that you read about in the newspaper in another world. I don't know who it is, but you need God to bring to mind a person, a name. You identify with that person. You need to know them. You need to get close enough to their lives to know their hurts, to know their hopes, your name on their heart. Identification. That's the first step. And then the second step is intercession. To carry that person before the throne of heaven. To name her name or his name in your prayers through the Spirit, that the Spirit could bind that person, that prayer request, into the prayers of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus now has an opportunity to present this person, your neighbor, before his heavenly Father. And now Jesus is pleading on their behalf. Intercession. Praying. And then thirdly, blessing. Come out of your prayer closet because you're not done. There's a third priestly action for you, and that is to come into that person's life again and now speak a word of peace, a word of blessing, to let the name of Jesus through the presence of the Holy Spirit be your reality and their reality as you relate together. What if we live that way? What if you and I live that way? Can you imagine how Seattle would change? All the people in this room, priests for this city and beyond, loving people, reconciling people. This is what Love Your Neighborhood will be all about. It's not a church program. Don't do it to get involved with UPC. Do it to be UPC. Do it to be the church of Jesus Christ. We don't have a lot of instructions for you. Except these three, identification, intercession, and blessing. Be looking for people, be praying for people, and then be serving people. They're ready. 
Jesus Christ is ready, and you are too. The trumpet calls forth a priestly people. Those who find life in a priest will live as a priest. And I just want to warn you, it won't be easy. There may be smoke, there may be fire. The ground beneath your feet may shake. You may move into the lives of people with leukemia. You may find yourself strapped to a table donating your marrow. You may move into the lives of people who are angry, indifferent, bitter, or broken. But do not worry. The ministry is not yours. You are not the one who wrote the melody. It is your Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to close by reading a, a paragraph that I invite you to meditate on. This is uh, from a book by our theologian in residence, Daryl Guder, called The Continuing Conversion of the Church. And this paragraph is written by Shirley Guthrie. Before you ever thought of seeking out God to ask for God's love, God sought you out and acted in self-giving love for you. Before you even considered choosing Christ and making a decision for him, Christ chose you and made a decision for you. Before you even heard about opening yourself to the freeing and renewing work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit has already been at work in your life and in the world around you. Before it occurred to you to ask for your own and the world's salvation while you were still trapped and dead in your sin and unbelief, it already happened in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and is happening through the presence of the living Christ and His Spirit in your life and in the world. Therefore, accept and live by this good news. Not because you must, but because you may. Not because you are or want to be a godly spiritual person, but because God loves and Christ died for and the Spirit comes to ungodly, worldly sinners. Not because God is soft and indulgent in dealing with sin and sinners like you, but because in Jesus Christ, God has already taken on God's self the consequences of your sin and the sin of the whole world. Not because God will damn and punish you if you don't or pay off with all kinds of good things if you do, but out of sheer thankfulness for the loving and powerful grace of God in Jesus Christ. Accept and live by this grace, not because the kingdom of God cannot come unless you seek it and work for it, but because the kingdom of God is coming and is already on the way. Accept and live by it, because God always has been, is and always will be, a loving and powerful, gracious God. Even in those times when you are not sure you believe, and despite the massive unbelief and disobedience in the world around you. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have heard the cry from the top of the mountain. It is the beautiful, melodic cry of a trumpet that calls us to action, that sends us into the world. Now give us the faith to believe that you are already at work in that world before we get there. Give us the eyes to see where you are at work. Help us to see those who are broken and needy and lost, even though they may present to us a face that looks competent and together and wealthy and strong. Yet you know the heart. Call us into the spaces, the tender, 
quiet, shadowed spaces where you will play your music. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.